So um, who's been enjoying this series um, on the Psalms? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, look, I loved um, Craig's message last um, week. Just It was such a beautiful reminder to, um, I guess, just... Yeah, just to be reminded of how um, fearfully and wonderfully we are made and made in God's image. I just thought it was such a beautiful reminder. Um, But to be honest, I wasn't actually that thrilled when I heard we were doing a series on the Psalms. Um, I spent um, a lot of years, uh, a lot of my teenage years delving into the Psalms and Proverbs and things like that. And I guess um, as an emotional teenager, I connected really well with that. But as an adult, I was just kind of like, I haven't got time for emotion, right? And... um, and so I would spend time like, so I'd be struggling at school or something like that. And I would open up Psalms and I'd find Psalm 109 and I'd be like, my God, whom I praise, do not remain silent for people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongue. Their words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. And in return for my friendship, they accuse me. But I am a man, woman of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. This is my prayers. Let an accuser stand at his right hand and when he is tried, let him be found guilty and may his prayers condemn him. And then I'd have an argument with my parents and I'd find Psalm 94. The Lord is a God who avenges. A God who avenges shine forth. (laughs) Rise up, judge of the earth, pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? So uh, King David and I really connected during those years. And um, I don't know about you, um, but I was definitely an emotional uh, teenager. But tonight I thought that um, we would go through one of the probably more popular Psalms, um, Psalm 23. And it's one of those Psalms that um, even if you've never opened up a Bible, generally you're going to have heard some of the things and um, some of the words in it. In fact, this week, um, all through my head, I've had that Gangster Paradise song running through it. I don't know who knows it, like, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left because I've been blessing and laughing so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. So, yeah. Maybe she heard my prayers when I was a teenager. But Psalm 23 does just have like a lot of beautiful imagery in it. And um, so I want to... Let's just read that together, shall we? Okay, not going to be able to read that from there. Okay, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint me, sorry, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that beautiful? Why don't we just pray together, guys? God, we we thank you. God, we thank that we can thank you that we can come here together and praise you, um, sing our hearts out, sick or not, God, and um, 
yeah, I just, I thank you that we can come together and share. And I just pray that, that you will help me be able to get through this and speak to people in a way that they can connect with your scriptures, God. And I just pray that you just um, prepare people's hearts as, as we do this together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this first bit, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The Lord is my shepherd. So if, um, if God, the Lord, is being described here as the shepherd, that makes us the sheep. Well done, guys. So um, I like to think of us like this. I'm not entirely sure if it's meant to be a compliment or not to be associated as a sheep and um, being a Kiwi and our parent love for sheep, which is actually lessening each year. Um, so in 2003, there was roughly 20 sheep per person in New Zealand. Um, and now there's only six. So guys, in a few more years, we're actually gonna probably have an identity crisis. Um, but even though New Zealand is known for its sheep, <clears throat> I didn't actually know a whole lot about them. So I decided to look at some positive facts about sheep. All right, we ready? Fact number one, sheep are useful. Okay, every part of the sheep is useful, okay? We love in New Zealand their wool. Nothing is better than their merino socks, thermals, beanies, jumpers. You can even get merino underwear. Haven't tried. Meant to be great. Meat, super tasty. I'm not going to say any more. The whole sheep is useful. Okay, number two, sheep can live happily and content. They survive in some of the most barren land that isn't always good for a lot else. They've got, it's rocky, it's cliff faces, and in all of these environments, they're just chilling. They're content. Number three, sheep make friends. This might make you think about eating them, but University of California found that rams over three years, they watch them establish firm friendships and look out for each other in times of need, supported each other in fights, might have been a bit of gang plan going on, intervened on behalf of the weaker ones. Cool shape. Um, sheep are apparently intelligent. So depending on your version of intelligent, this may or may not, um, is potentially subjective. So, but a study in China found, out, found that they can recognise and remember at least 50 individual faces for more than two years. Okay, and my last point, sheep are innocent. They're not harmful creatures. So um, I don't know if you can imagine a sheep getting ready to attack, say, you know, we don't have a lot of harmful things in New Zealand, but in a lion, what are they going to do? Just be like, meh. That was good. Um, you know, they're not going to do a whole lot, right? And that's all the positive things I've got about sheep. But for all their useful innocence, they still need a shepherd. Why? Because I hate to admit it. There's still another side to sheep. For instance, they stink. I enjoy walking up the mount, but some days when the wind is blowing in a certain direction, seriously, that walk is not so pleasant, right? They're a bit dirty, a bit grubby, a bit smelly. Definitely not these pretty little perfect happy sheep. But because sheep don't have a way of protecting themselves, they're quite vulnerable and they're often prone to wandering. Even if they have all that they need in front of them, they still wander off. And for all their loyalty and friendship, sometimes they don't think of the consequences of their actions. Um, I'm not sure how many of you have heard this story, but in 2010, there was um, a sheep that they believe was trying to get to another ridge and um, jump from one ridge to another. And um, it didn't make it and died at the bottom of the cliff. 
only to be followed by 51 other sheep who jumped off the cliff and died. This actually happened earlier as well in 2005 on a different cliff, but with 1,500 sheep that jumped off the cliff. However, the only first 450 or so died because the sheep that fell first, their bodies cushioned, the remaining sheep's fall. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? <laughs> Sorry. But so sheep are just, it really seems clear to me that sheep need a shepherd, right? We've got a lot going for us, but we still need that guidance or we'll all be thinking it's a great idea to test that cliff out. We're created to have dependence on God, on our shepherd, and God is just saying, I want to be your shepherd. And we got that other line and it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. The shepherd's going to make us do a few things. And so for some of us, we've already run into a problem right there, yeah? Ain't nobody going to tell you what to do. But this is actually beautiful because God is wanting his highest for us. And he desperately wants us to have time with him, focus on him and go deeper with him. But if you're like me as well, you think of um, like the New Zealand, lovely green pastures, right? Beautiful, lots of greenery, beautiful mountains. But what is actually a common landscape for sheep and shepherds during the time that this psalm was written and in Israel was that they were often out in land that was good for not a lot else. It was often land that was barren and so following the shepherd was just a case of life and death. It was the wilderness. It looked more like this. Over there, they have um, two seasons. They have a rainy season where it becomes green and then the dry season where the landscape is brown. But even during the rainy season, the grass in the wilderness remains short as it grows in the shades where the moisture is trapped. All between the rocks. And so at first glance, those green pastures of Israel look like a barren, rocky wasteland, but each day... A few blades of grass grow and there is enough, just enough to nourish the flocks for another day. And so each day the shepherd has to lead them to green pastures. And sometimes like the shepherd God has to make us lie down and rest in the green pastures. And this is for our own good. And sometimes we think we might see something better and wander off, but God is saying, trust me, stay, rest, let me guide you. I've been reading a few articles lately on burnout and sometimes I think God just makes us rest and says, lie down. I've got enough to sustain you. And sometimes I think we're fearful in this. We see the barrenness and we think, really, can I trust the shepherd to ensure that there will be enough for tomorrow? And God is saying, yes, trust me, rest in this pasture. I've got you. I've got you today and I've got you tomorrow. And there is an element of fear in this. And, and the next verse addresses this too, as it says, he leads me beside still waters. Again, it brings beautiful images to mind of, of God providing a, a place to drink and be replenished when I'm thirsty. But the thing with um, quiet or other translations say still waters is that they're often deep waters. The, um, the Jewish people were known as um, really bad sailors. 
They um, never ventured very far. They always stuck really close to the coastlines and things like that because there was a fear that Leviathan, the evil sea creature, lived there. And so they were fearful. But again, God is saying, trust me, even in these dark and scary waters. And in a world where we love the extra, we love having more than we actually need, we're reminded that God gives us what we need. He gives us just enough, just in time. And there's been countless times in my life where this has been the case, where it has been God giving me just enough and just in time. And um, <clears throat> unfortunately, I don't actually have the best hearing. It's, um, it's not because of a whole bunch of loud music. I had grommets and things like that when I was younger. I've had um, other surgeries and things, loads of tests. And when I was 11 years old, um, I was told that there was nothing more that they could do for me. So and they said, look, we're going to have to fit you with hearing aids, which is what every 11-year-old wants to hear. And um, so off mum and I went to the clinic one Monday morning to start the process of being fitted for hearing aids. And the day before at church, <clears throat> some of the adults we were actually at this church, but back in the hall and um, some adults um, offered to pray for me, which I wasn't terribly impressed about because mum dragged me away from my friends and, and they prayed for me. It was a really simple, simple thing, really nothing great happened. They prayed for me. It was inconvenient and off we went. But when we arrived at the, at the clinic, the doctor just said, hey, look, um, I just want to do another test just to check your deterioration and, and just get an exact measurement of where you're at for these hearing aids. And if you can imagine <clears throat> on a graph, there is um, a line that goes a third of the way across. And basically anything underneath that line is the point at which you require hearing aids. And everything above that line, you're still good. Right, And so all of my tests up until this point have been well below this graph, um, well below, sorry, this line on this graph. But then this one day when they did the test, it was just above the line. And so I actually didn't need to get hearing aids and I've never had to get them since. It was only just above the line and the doctor couldn't actually explain it in that moment. It was just enough, just in time. Um, I was an intern in a church in Aussie a number of years ago, and unfortunately um, I had this really rubbish car. It was called, we called it the Beast Number 2, um, and it was number two because it already had Beast Number 1. And um, it needed quite a few things doing, um, being done to it and uh, taken to a mechanic, and the mechanic said, hey, look, Brennan, it's actually just not safe to drive anymore. And I looked at my um, student bank account and just went, well, that's not going to pay for anything. So cool, what do I do? So um, like any great student, I got on the phone to mum and um, <clears throat> not dad, mum. And, um, and um, I was about to start my whinge and mum said, oh, hey, Brie, um, I just had a phone call from such and such at church. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And she said, oh, they want your bank account details. And I was like, what? Why the heck would they want that? And um, they said, oh, look, they've just been praying for you. And these are people that I didn't really have a lot to do with, to be honest. And they said, look, we've praying, been praying for you and just felt that they needed to give you some money. And it transpired that with the conversion rate, it was the amount that I needed to get my car fixed. You know, it was just enough, just in time. And honestly, like, those are just a couple of stories, but those sort of stories are just... Uh, happen actually so constantly in my life and in my family's life. And, 
you know, there's been times when I haven't told a single person. In fact, I haven't even spoken to God about it and God has provided. The good shepherd has provided me with just enough, just in time. Verses three and four, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. I um, was reminded through the week of the story of Desmond Doss. And there's a movie made about his story called Hacksaw Ridge. Um, And if you haven't seen it and can handle a war movie, it's a brilliant movie. I really recommend the watch. Um, But Desmond Doss, he was this unassuming, skinny, Seventh-day Adventist guy um, who joined the army in World War II um, in the Pacific War against the Japanese. And he joined the army after the events of Pearl Harbor and enlisted as a combat medic combat medic because he believed in the cause. But when he was younger, he had vowed to um, not to kill or carry a weapon. So as you can imagine, um, it's a complete contradiction to the life of a soldier and soldier in the war. And um, it actually didn't make him very popular at all. And, you know, they didn't want to fight next to a man who didn't have a gun, you know, medic or not. Um, He was seen as their weakest link. Anyway, so his um, company ended up in a place um, which they call Hacksaw Ridge. Sorry, that's the best photo I could find. It's a bit dodgy. But this ridge um, was found on the island of Okinawa, and this ridge was 120 metres high. And they had to scale this ridge, and on top of the ridge um, was where the Japanese soldiers were waiting for them. And it was full of caves and holes, and the Japanese were dug in underground, and it was full of machine gun nests and booby traps. And it was thought that this mission was nearly impossible. And uh, it was a close combat fight um, where thousands of American and Japanese soldiers were killed. And they say it was one of the largest bloodshed events of of that war. And I want to play you a scene from the movie, and and it's not one of the gory ones, I promise, um, where they've just come under intense fire from the Japanese. And so Doss's battalion was ordered to retreat back off this ridge leaving behind anyone who couldn't get themselves off the ridge. So I just want to play that. Come on, we got to get out of here. Stand. 
near you. good movie you should really watch the whole thing but how many times have we been in those in those valleys and what a version of what feels like our own war story and in no way to diminish um or take away any of those who have experienced um intense combat like that but we find ourselves saying to god what is it that you want from me i don't i don't understand i can't hear you and as with Doss, sometimes it's another person's cry that the voice of God can be heard. And so Doss, under a barrage of gunfire and explosions, crawled on the ground from wounded soldier to wounded soldier, dragging severely injured, injured men to the edge of that ridge, tying a rope around their bodies and lowering them down to the medics below. In a documentary, um, Doss said he was praying the whole time and he just kept on praying, God, Lord, please just let me get one more. And then he'd go back in again and just be like, please help me get one more. And over a 12-hour period, Doss, Doss saved around 75 men. God was with Doss in the firing line. And in the same documentary, one of the veterans um, who was with Doss at Hacksaw Ridge says, it's as if God had his hand on his shoulder. It's the only explanation that I can give. And what we see in this story and what is true of this scripture is that security is again found in the shepherd. Security is found in God, not in our circumstances. Security is found in God and not in our circumstances because we would love for God to just take us out of those moments. We don't want to meet God in the war zone. We want to meet Him and have Him um, deliver us into this peaceful tranquility of life. And we want to keep God to keep pulling us out of these moments. But God delivers us in these valleys, in these storms and our firefights. He delivers us in these valleys before He delivers us out of them. And where is God? Where is this good shepherd? He is right there in it, amongst it with us. God is guiding us. He has his rod and his staff and he is defending us. He is there in the battle with us. And that is just, it's cool, eh? And so far we've seen how um, God, <clears throat> he makes us, he leads us, restores us, guides us, defends us. And now in verse five, we find he wants to dine with us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And what a verse and what, a, what an image. And, you know, when I was reading this, I was um, picturing a moment like this um, where God invited me to sit at the table as his guest with him before my enemies. Just me and God, a 
seat for God, a seat for me. And he's prepared a banquet before my enemies. And why is this a good thing? Because right now, if I was to think about it and um, picture you guys all as my enemies, which I really hope you're not, it's an awkward dining experience. But this image is actually so powerful because it's actually a representation of real life. There's so much going on around us and our enemies are real. And as we dine with God the Father, our enemies still remain. You know, it might be something going on at work. It might be your health concerns, financial concerns, as you fight each week to pay your bills or as you fight to stay sane and not have a breakdown or your multiple spiritual battles that we face. So it's a really, really good thing that we can dine with our Creator and experience His presence as He feeds and nourishes us. But what actually happens with the enemy being so close is that he wants to dine with you too. The enemy is looking for a way in. He's going to test your character, your attitudes, your thoughts, your choices, looking for a way to sit at our table. And you know what happens when you invite the enemy to your table? He pulls up a chair he starts off like a polite dinner guest. Might ask you a few questions. Great, wasn't a good idea. He'll sit there and he'll say, do you really think God has given you the best food? Didn't you see Sally's table over there? Hey, Brie, why is God sitting at the end of your table? and not next to you. Maybe he doesn't really want you. And doubt starts setting in. The enemy settles in, pours you a glass of water, has a few more snacks. And so how do you know if the enemy's actually got a seat at your table? I, um, Louis Giglio, I think, says it beautifully, and he puts it down to three different common things that we often... Um, I guess they're just battles for us that I guess show that we have an enemy sitting at our table. And the first one is says, he says things like, you're never going to make it. You're never going to make it through this. There's no chance. He's not gonna, it's not going to change. So don't even bother getting your hopes up. Or he says like, you aren't good enough. You're not strong enough, not worthy enough. You don't even matter. Or he says, everybody is against you. No one likes you. They just tolerate you. Everyone else is out to get you and quite honestly, they just hate you. And we go back and we sit here on our seat and we just, we just look for things. We look for reasons to confirm this. We just end up losing our peace. And even though God is sitting right there at the end of the table, we just forget to ask him what he says is the truth about us. And as Craig said last week, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And even if it was the case and Sally, oh, poor Sally, I hope no one's called Sally here, was creating a lot of grief in your life, don't get into a war with her. Just go back to the shepherd, your creator, and dine with him 
eat with him. Because he's not against you. He is the good shepherd that laid down his life for you. Because what food is on offer, what's on the table is the word of life. His word. On this table is the will of God for you. And so whilst you're surrounded by your enemies or in that valley or as Doss says, you know, we've got to sit there and say, God, what is it that you want from me? You know, the beautiful um, second part of this verse says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And although we may not be able to invite them for a seat at our table, there is more than enough food to go around. And you take that food and you share it because God has given you more than enough. More than enough to share with others. God will provide for you. He will make you, lead you, refresh you, guide you, defend you, comfort you and sustain you in the fight. And we come to this final verse in Psalms, in the Psalm, and it <clears throat> begins with surely. Surely. I so resonate with that, even though he provides for me, refreshes me, comforts me, and we say, surely? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy follow you always all the days of your life, all the days of my life. His goodness supplies all of our needs and his mercy and his grace forgive us so that we may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's such a beautiful promise. There are, um, you know, three things, you know, that we talked about tonight and, and I want to leave you with. And they're questions for you guys to ask yourselves as well. And, If you guys need prayer, I encourage you to just come and respond and take that step and just say, you know, I need, I need someone else there with me. The first is maybe you're in a place where you need reminding that God will provide for you and that you can find rest and peace in the fact that God will provide sometimes just enough and just in time. Maybe you're struggling to trust that God is with you in the midst of the firing line. And like the soldier, you want to hear God and have confidence that he is with you. Or three, you know, you might be in a position where people are giving you a hard time, pushing back on you and your faith as a Christian, and you want to have God's peace so that you can dine with him in the presence of your enemies. Or maybe you have invited people to your table or things to your table that shouldn't be there. So I just, um, as a band just comes in and leads us in a final song, I just want you guys to just come up the front and pray. And uh, yeah, we'll pray with you during this time as well. But um, why don't we all just stand and, and pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we just um, we thank you. Um,
that you are there, that you sustain us, you lead us, you guide us, you provide for us, God. God, sometimes when we don't see it, know it, or we have fear, I thank you that you do it anyway. God, for some of us, we need reminding of that. We've forgotten, we've tried to do it too much on our own. And God, I just pray that you just, you just touch us with your spirit and you just, yeah, that you just be with us in those valleys and those moments, God. In Jesus' name, amen.